This, this, this is K-U-T. you. K U T. K U T. Austin. Stop. I used to get mad at my And welcome to Higher Ed, KUT's podcast focusing on issues of higher education, lifelong learning, and exercising the brain. I'm Jennifer Staten with KUT 90.5, Austin's NPR station, talking as always with Dr. Ed Berger, president of Southwestern University in Georgetown, Texas. Hello, Ed. Hello, Jennifer, and welcome back to our sound studio here at Southwestern. Well, thank you. I'm always happy to be on campus. You know, sometimes we will chat in the KUT studio. That's right. Sometimes we will chat in the sound studio on the Southwestern University campus, which raises a question for me. Yes. When I'm at Southwestern, are you in control of this or am I? Or if we're at KUT, am I in control or are you? Well, when we're, we're, we're in KUT, David's in control, well, our that's, producer, that's and he doesn't follow you here. So I guess then we share control. Yeah. Okay. I just was sort of wondering about that. It's, I guess it's a territorial thing. I don't know. <laughs> but it did It did make me start thinking, though, about, yes. about that idea of control hmm. and I guess sort of responsibility, but really control as it relates to education. And what I mean by that is if you take sort of a – traditional formal education setting. You've got a teacher in the classroom. You have students. Students usually have parents or someone at home. Teachers have bosses and administrators. Who is really in control of the quality of that education? Whose responsibility is it that that is a good educational experience? There are a lot of cooks in that kitchen, I guess, is a way to say it. Well, and I I think there's a couple of different levels on which you can answer that. One is at the highest level, I would say that that literally all participants uh, are in control. Uh, uh, Imagine a classroom dynamic, like think of like a second grade class, for example, where if the students don't agree that when the teacher, you know, says, okay, everyone quiet down, but they just ignore that, well, then in some sense, no learning or education will take place. And, And so in some sense, they have kind of taken over that, if you will. Uh, And so I think administrators play a role, parents play a role, uh, teachers, and of course, students play a role. So that's at at kind of the broader sense. But at at a smaller and more meaningful sense, uh, I think it's it's the people who are offering that education because it gets back to something we talked about a while ago, which is what's the definition of that education. So, so what are you offering? Uh, and by offering that thing, in some sense, that is having control. And if the focus is on memorizing all these things, that's one form of education and you're controlling that. If it's, you know, how do you create new ideas and how do you think about things in a very deep way and how do you make meaning of whatever it is we're talking about? Well, that's controlling and moving the 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 effort in a different direction. And so in that sense, it is the school district or the administration or the instructors and, and the curriculum for that matter. I think the curriculum actually control. In fact, now that I think about it, I'm now spinning to the end, which is that at least at public schools – uh, you know, K through high school, I would say that the state uh, own, has a lot of control because they actually uh, dictate the curriculum. And I would say also that students play a large role 
in or have have a lot of control individually over their own experience. You know, if they have a choice of, say, something even as simple as where to sit in the classroom. And if a student chooses to sit in the back southwestern corner and not really engage in what's going on in class, they've made a big decision about how that experience is going to be for them. And they have have chosen, you know, not to exercise whatever control they may have. Because, you know, the classroom is an interesting setting. I mean, you've you've got a, a usually older teacher with a bunch of younger students, and it can feel really out of whack as to who's who's in charge. You're making a great point. And one thing that, that we've talked about and I talk about a lot uh, wherever I am is that students have to own their own learning. So that might be different than their education because they can't say, I don't want to use that curriculum. Right. They don't have a say over. But but in terms of their own learning and their learning outcomes, they own it. And, I, and your example, I think, is a brilliant example, just even where you sit in the classroom. I always would sit in the front because you know, I'd want to be able to see. And I also realize that if you sit in the back, the sound from the teacher has to then get through all of those muffled. And by the time it gets there, it's a little bit, you know, it's easy to be distracted. And so I'm always sitting front and center. And there are people that sit in the back. And that's a decision that you're making. And it's a very good point. I think you're right. So a question about owning that outcome that I think is a question for parents or aunts and uncles or any any sort of grown up who has young people around them who are in a formal education setting. If you see a student who is struggling in a class or maybe trying really hard and not doing well or maybe not trying and not doing well, not going to class, how much do you let the student own that? experience and how much do you intervene and say you know what Johnny or Jenny I'm you have to go to class and you have to turn in your homework you know and sort of not let them experience the consequences I I think again it depends upon the level and what grade and and what the age of the student um but so from my vantage point where I'm teaching uh, students who are a little bit older uh, university aged folks for the most part uh, I think that they should have to own their decisions, and I'll and I'll give you an actually a, a kind of a serious but but kind of related example where I just recently. So I'm teaching this class effective thinking through creative puzzle solving. It's not required for anything; you just take it because you want to. And there were a few students who uh, had signed up for the class. And I guess decided either their schedule wouldn't permit it or they were too busy or they decided they just don't want to take the class. So they never showed up. Now, uh, at Southwestern, faculty have the right to drop people uh, if they want to, uh, you know, for that kind of reason, you know, just to throw them out. And I, I have a problem with that as an instructor because, you know, you signed up for that class and now it's your responsibility. I'm not going to parent you. It's your responsibility to take care of it. I reached out. In fact, twice to uh to some of these students and just said the last day to drop a class uh, is you know coming up and i urge you because maybe they didn't know the date i urge you to to drop the class um because otherwise you're you're not engaged and you're going to get an f and i'd hate to see that for you i'd love to have you in the class next fall if you want to take it so you know no hard feelings but just i'm letting you know and then they take that information do what they want now these students of course dropped the class which was fine but if someone did not drop the class they would just go right through and they would have a, a life lesson when they get an F on this little teeny two credit class only because they never bothered to drop it. They never even showed up the first time. And that's their responsibility. It is not mine. And that is a kind of tough love and, and kind of a hard line. But I think that 
that's how the real world works. I mean, the KUT studios, if you don't show up for morning edition, they're not going to say, oh, well, just show up tomorrow and we'll like you, or you came an hour late, no problem. I mean, you'll probably be fired. And so there are consequences to our actions as well as consequences to our inactions. Let's take some action on this puzzler. This is a this is a tricky one, I think. Oh, yes. This is kind of a random walk or a drunkard's yes. walk and stochastic processing. It's neat math stuff. The question is, uh, suppose that you have a, a st- long street that goes on forever. And uh, think of it as a number line. So it's marked. So there's a zero. And then to the right, there's one. Then after that is two, three, four. And then to the left is negative one, negative two, negative three, negative four. And think of those little uh, marks, if you will, as blocks. You start it at the point zero. You take a fair coin. I don't know if I mentioned this or not, but it's a fair coin. I think people understood that. So it's a fair coin. Mm -hmm. Chances of, of landing heads up, tails up, same. If you flip and it lands heads up, you take one step to the east, and so you'd move, in this case, to one the one spot. If it comes up tails up, then you move a one spot to the west, and you go to negative one. And then from that starting position, you now flip again. And if you get uh, heads, you go one unit over to the right, and if it's tails, you go one unit over to the left, and you keep doing this forever. The two questions were, first of all, if you do this forever. So again, forgetting about the finiteness of life. If you do this forever, would you eventually actually get to every single block or would there be points on the number line way far away that you might not ever get to? And then the second follow-up question is, would you uh, return back home? Okay. I'm sorry. I was deeply immersed in my Let me see my what you were saying down. Let me see. Oh, there's the number line. There's the yes. little arrows going to the yes. right and to the I left. I did not do an infinite one with infinite possibilities. So the okay. questions are... Will you hit every block? Will you hit every block? Which means will you, hit, will you land on every number or will there be numbers far away that you might not get to? Like you might get way out and then you start to come back and you never make it back out again. I think that it's entirely possible there are numbers that you will not get to. Now, I need you to be a little more specific because all of these are going to be kind of probabilities. So is it more likely than not or which way? It is more likely than not that there are numbers you will never reach. So that then with a, a probability of, of, 50 per, of, of more than 50%, there might be numbers way out in the stratosphere that you're never going to get to. You'll get far out and then eventually start to head back and then you'll hit the negative terrain and then you'll get far right. out there and then you'll bounce back and forth. It's because of the fair coin and every, every spot where you are, you could go a step back or a step forward. Right. So then you're kind of answering then the second part of the question. So let's yes. jump to that, okay. which is, will we return back? It sounds like you're saying that with it, a probability greater po- than 50%, a, yes, it is, you expect I would say to get probab- back. Yes, because you, I mean, with any toss, you could move forward one or back one. It seems to me unlikely that you are only going to move either all forward, which would be the extreme example, right? That every time right. you flip, right. It's heads, right. and you move only forward. Correct. Or every time you flip, you move tails. It's always backwards. Right. So I'm saying it is greater than 50% probability that you will return home. Okay. Well, the answer, the, the grading is that you got 50% right. Okay. So you said one answer, another answer, and one of them is correct, and one of them is not. So you have, so it's all about 50%, and you got 50%. Okay. So congratulations. Thank you. So now I want to learn about Which one do you 50%. think is right? <laughs> Knowing that one's wrong, which one do you think is the right one? I think that my first one is correct. You're looking at me funny. My second one is correct. That's correct. Good. <laughs> so uh, let's take a look at, yeah. uh, at that one. Okay. First of all, the first thing, if you really think about this for a bit, if any of our listeners were really thinking about this, you would have to flip this an even number of times because the only way to get back to where you started is to go out and then to come back. So you couldn't, for example, do it in three flips. It would be impossible. 
Right. So it has to be an even number of times. And all of this, by the way, behind all of this, there's a lot of serious mathematics. There are things called infinite series where you have to kind of really add things up. But we're not going to do any of that here. I'm just going to kind of tell you the answer and try to give you a little heuristic. But this is uh-huh. not a, a formal math proof. The idea is, if you think about it, since it's a fair coin, overall, you would expect that even though there are going to be, you know, flukes in, in what you see and, and kind of weird runs, uh, overall, you'd expect there to be just as many heads as tails. And, and that little argument right there can be moved into a mathematical proof to show that not only will you come back, so the answer is yes, with 100% probability, which doesn't mean certain, but it means 100% probability. But in fact, if you do this forever, you will come back infinitely many times. Oh, that is really cool. So that, that and I think that makes a little bit of sense. Yes. Now let's take the first question up. Uh-huh. The first question is, uh, you know, will you hit every single point? And the answer actually is yes, with 100% probability you will. And for the very reason that I snuck in there when I said you have these weird runs, uh-huh. you will have weird runs of just lots of tails and that pushes you way, way off. And so, in fact, you will eventually hit everything because every conceivable run, you can imagine like a billion tails followed by a head, followed by a million tails. If you're doing this forever, that will eventually happen. And so you actually do hit every single block. Well, and it's so interesting to hear you talk about that because I'm realizing now when I was figuring out the first answer, I actually did put constraints on it. Well, then it changes everything. It becomes a different question. Now, I got to tell you another follow-up, which I kind of hinted at. Okay. Now, let's suppose that we were walking on a grid. So imagine if you had not just a street going horizontally, but you have one going vertically. And so it's almost like a Cartesian plane where you have kind of like, you know, one point comma another point. So Uh you have two coins now and it tells you how far to, (laughs) what unit, you know, right or left, you go one step and then up or down one step. Then you're somewhere and now you flip both coins again, you go right or left one step and you go up or down one step. Now, so now there's a lot more degrees of freedom, right? You've got now, it's like Manhattan, right? But it goes on forever. (laughs) And so you can, you can go, you know, so you can, so will you hit every point? And will you come back? Now, this is just a knee-jerk reaction. You didn't have a week to think about this. This is just for fun. Give me your knee-jerk reaction. Will you, first of all, hit every point in the plane? Same parameters, which is no parameters. Correct. Well, I'm, I got to say yes this time. That's correct. And then what about getting back to the origin, getting back to where you began? Will you do that? Sure. That's correct. And how many times would you do it if you do this forever? Infinitely. Correct. Okay, now. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> what if we did it in 3D? So what if we had three coins and you're allowed to go up and down? So it's not only Manhattan, but you get to go up to a floor of a building or down into a basement. Do you follow me? So first coin tells you east or west. Second, uh-huh. second coin tells you north and south. And the third coin tells you how far off the earth to go sure. or how far to burrow into the earth you go. So three-dimensional. Well, my Same head questions. exploded, but I'm going to say yes again. Yes to the first one yes that you'll hit every point. And yes and to the second. Yes. And those answers are wrong. And oh. this is what's so surprising. With that many degrees of freedom, and again, this is uh, stochastic processing, it's not obvious, and I can't even really give you a intuition except to say that there's so many degrees of freedom that you could actually get lost out into space oh, no. and never come back. Oh, no. So the probability of coming back um, is positive, but not bigger than, not bigger than 50%. It's very interesting. In the other cases, it's 100% probability. Does NASA know about this? Yes, NASA does because NASA loves math. Okay, good. I'm glad. And the higher dimensions you go, the less likely you are to come back. And you can figure all this out numerically. This it's really cool stuff. Okay, for a future episode, I'm just going to have you figure it out out loud, and we're all going to listen. And that's a no. That's a hard no. (laughs) And thank you so much for 
entertaining us and helping us have fun with these puzzlers. Dr. Ed Berger is president of Southwestern University in Georgetown, Texas. You can find out more at southwestern.edu. You can keep your brain busy by keeping up with the news and other episodes of Higher Ed at KUT.org and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jennifer Staten, KUT News.